the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I've hesitated to even think about preaching at all, considering the great sermon that we have heard from St. Cassiany, the hymn that we just heard so beautifully sung. The bridegroom mountains are always challenging because they constantly meditate upon things that we hold very close to our chest. The simple woman we have encountered just two Sundays ago the Gospel reading assigned to Mary of Egypt. And in Matins, as she and Judas kind of play throughout this entire text, as Judas has kind of been with us throughout Holy Week. Because the Father is the way the church operates liturgically, and as you've probably picked up through years in Orthodox, you're just hearing the hymnody. Everyone in the gospel serves as an icon, but not necessarily the icon of our Lord or the icon of goodness, but they're also icons of what it is to be entangled, infected, shackled with sin, and going after all of the things that we want. In the Matins service, we always have a canon. It's the nine odes or the based off the nine canticles. And ode eight that we sung a few moments ago starts with this hymn, the command of the tyrant prevailed. The furnace was heated sevenfold, but the youths were not burned in it. Trampling on the king's decree, they sang, praise the Lord, all works of the Lord, Sing and exalt him throughout all the ages. These are the three holy youth that we read about in the book of Daniel. The way I learned it growing up was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I do not, I never committed to mind the Greek version of those names, so I won't even try. But those are the names that I was taught, and that's what I remember them by. Every mountain service in the Orthodox Church, uh, Ode 8, is dedicated or thematically uh, influenced by their hymn that they sung in the furnace. If you remember the three holy youth who with Daniel had uh, strengthened themselves through one round with uh, this tyrant with fasting, with keeping the fast that they were asked, that they were not going to eat the meat and the wine that was put before them, but that they were going to eat water and vegetables. And then when it came to the big showdown, whenever the assortment of instruments calls out, everyone has to bow down before a huge idol of the tyrant. Well, having strengthened themselves through fasting, having stay faithful to God, they then were able to say, we're not doing that. 
the tyrant gets angry, as every tyrant gets angry when somebody says no, or hints at saying no. And so he's going to make an example of them. So much so that he is not just going to burn them alive, he's going to make it seven times hot, and he's going to throw them in the midst of that. And what do they do? In the midst of serious temptation, before it was, you know, do we bend on our principles about this? Do we maybe just say, okay, when we're, nobody really know, we're, you know, we've been selected, right? They were the best of the best. They won't know back home, we can just do this. No, when they're in the furnace, seven times hot, somebody dies, preparing it even, as they're going to try and cast them into it. The three holy youth sing. The three holy youth sing a song of thanksgiving. They sing, praise the Lord, all the works of the Lord, sing and exalt him throughout all the ages. Now where have you heard that before? There's a time where we sing this. Can anyone remember? Holy Saturday. The depth, the death, in the midst of what would seem like abandonment, in the midst of flames, of torment, of temptation, they're there, they're faithful, and they're singing thanksgiving to God. So what does the hymnographer do for us? Guess who joins the song with the three holy youth? The woman poured precious myrrh upon thy kingly, divine and awesome head, O Christ. She grasped thy most pure feet with her naked hands and cried, Praise the Lord, all works the Lord, sing and exalt him throughout all the ages. The woman who was guilty of an abundance of sins washed the feet, thy feet with the abundance of her tears and wiped them with her hair. Therefore she was not deprived of absolution, for the many sins of her life, but cried, Praise the Lord, all works of the Lord, sing and exalt him throughout all the ages. When we, as we all are tempted, as we burn with whatever desire or whatever temptation comes our way, whether that maybe be for a harlot, that might be lust, Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's like Judas, greed. And don't just read Judas and him being greedy and say, I'm not really greedy. I don't really fit into that category. Judas stands as a basic icon for our addiction to the world. Whatever the world offers us, sells us, makes it seem glittery and nice that we opt for instead of our Lord, instead of our friend. The harlot joins the chorus with the three holy youth. While Judas, as the hymnody tells us, burned with desire, he burned with lust, with greed for the world. And we know that the harlot, without shame, in the midst of that fire, that temptation, she openly approached our Lord with tears and with her hair. If you've noticed in icons, you don't very often see the hair of a woman. If you just look at our iconostasis, the Theotokos, Sinya, Anna, Mary has her hair showing. 
she was a, a penitent harlot, and in her life it talks about how her hair has been bleached white by the sun. But to show hair in the ancient world was um, risque. It would be like back in the day showing a little bit too much ankle, as it were. She uses her hair to clean our Lord's feet. She anoints it with oil. She doesn't care what others will say. She knows intimately what she has done. And she's there with courage to give glory, to give thanks, to ask for forgiveness, to beg for forgiveness. This is the opposite of Judas. What does Judas do, as the hymnody tells us, as we know from the Gospels? Judas is already, as we heard in the Gospel reading on Palm Sunday, he's already in his mind going, these people, what are they doing with this money? I, I, I need, or there's something wrong, I, I've got to shore things up. And he realizes he's got an opportunity. He can capitalize on the situation. And no matter how well he has been accepted, how much he has loved our Lord, his mind is now burning with temptation. The idol is put before him. The band starts playing, and he is bowing before his idol. Judas, the one who will betray our Lord, he goes about in darkness, secretly. He goes and he, you know, behind closed doors, how much can I get? Okay, that sounds like a decent price. So then, as we know, and at the Last Supper, that Jesus, when he basically tells him, go do what you're going to do, the Gospel of John tells him he went into the darkness. Judas, who will betray and sell someone else's body for his own benefit, stands opposite the harlot who had sold her body, but now knows how to redeem herself. A great chasm between the two. And this brings us, of course, face to face with ourselves, because we can't hear about Judas, we can't hear about the harlot and the person that they're all kind of choreographed, dancing around our Lord without wondering about ourselves. Wondering about what fire we have burning, what temptations we have that come, how often we've not strengthened ourselves in obedience to the traditions of Israel or the church via fasting, via obedience to what we were taught. And when it really comes down and all of the instruments play, we usually look around ashamed faced and bow down before the idol. There's not a word of thanksgiving. And faith seems very far away from us. We may even be tempted like Judas and the darkness that he descended into to keep going in that darkness. That we know he was swallowed up with despair. 
and we know where that led him. We've been focusing a lot on the harlot who joined the chorus of the Three Holy Youth and Judas, and we've talked about all those that are in some way dancing around the bridegroom, the center of all things. It's the bridegroom himself who burns, not with temptation in the way that we are, as he was tempted like us, but without sin, but his burning is a deep, abiding, everlasting love for all of us. That even while we play the harlot, even while we wanted to sell him out, he was pursuing us. He was doing everything that he possibly can. And I say that in the present tense and not just in the past tense, because he is always crucified for us. He is always the bridegroom of our soul. He is always in hot pursuit of us. That is what Eve mistook in the garden, as the hymn of Cassidy tells us. She hears the footsteps of God, our Lord, and she hides. Let us not hide. Let us confess. Let us come with tears of repentance like the harlot, begging the mercies of our Creator to forgive us so that we may, like the last reparting of that ode, enter into a sacred rite of redemption, wrought of saving compassion and a flood of tears, administered to the right-minded woman, washed in this fountain by her confession. She is not ashamed, but cried out, Praise the Lord, all works the Lord, sing and exalt him throughout all the ages. Amen. <laughs>